Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We're joined this week. Well, we're not joined. We have Mark Raycroft coming from Ontario. I'm Ron Hayes coming to you from Wyoming. And we have a special guest this evening, Galen Rosenwachs. And I believe out of New York. Is that correct? It is, yes. So Galen, one that we hit everybody with, just as kind of an introductory question. And I think this is going to be easy for you looking at your uh, social media page and, and some of the work that you've done. But what is your favorite ever outdoor experience? Doesn't necessarily have to be on a shoot. Oh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> and I'm sure not the only person who says that. I'm so lucky that I spend so much time in nature and in the ocean. Um, so I'm going to tell you about my most recent one, which is with sperm whales. Um, and it was absolutely insane. I mean, we had our last, my last big expedition was on sperm whales and free diving with them. And we just had 10 magical days in the water from everything from being clicked on by the whales to, you know, pirouetted around. They seemed to want to give me a hug. Um, and I think that that, it was just incredible. It like couldn't, it became like more and more magical as we, we went, you know, you think, Oh, the first experience, like you're in the water, like you're tearing up, you're with these amazing animals. And then, you know, the next drop, it gets even more amazing and more amazing. And it was just 10 days of, I think like between 60 and 70 drops on whales and, you know, hours in the water with these incredible creatures that chose to be there with us, you know? So it was, you know, one of those things that I'm still combing through the footage um, so it was on a project, um, but really incredible. But I think every time I'm in and on the ocean or in nature, there's incredible experiences to be had. Um, and I think that's the one thing that's my takeaway. You know, even when I, you know, go to the beach here, it's, you know, a magical experience. Mm -hmm. I was just with a friend of mine this last weekend and he, um, he's an outdoorsman. He's an avid outdoorsman, but he's not been a photographer for very long so as he started and we spent time with uh, a couple bull moose and just probably about two and a half hours and it's just a lot more intimate experience than just seeing them from afar and uh, one of the things that he said at the end of it he said I just feel sorry for the people that slept in this morning and so like you're saying is every time you go out there, there's something to be gleaned, some magical experience that's there to be had. You just have to pay attention to it. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, whatever it is, like I have some swallows nesting on my porch and I just have been watching them have their babies and their babies fly away and then they come and then they dive bomb you. And that's just as magical, you know, it's that interaction with nature and really understanding and seeing that cycle of life. I think that's so valuable and wonderful. The sperm whale experience, how recent was that? You you started the story that way. It was this year, obviously. Uh, it was actually in the fall of 2019. So okay. um, since we sort of got shut down in March, um, it does feel like it's this year. Um, yeah, so it was in November, uh, late November of 2019. So pretty recent. And was that in the Caribbean? 
It was, yeah, it was in Dominica. So, yeah, and it was absolutely incredibly blue, perfect water and warm and just so delightful. I've worked so much in the cold that transitioning into this warm water, I, uh, I'm getting a little spoiled. <laughs> um, and I'm like, hmm, do I really want to get back in cold? Um, I do. I love the cold. But uh, that blue, crystal clear blue water with these incredible animals all around is just, you know, almost indescribable. Your footage, I, I learned of you the first time not too long ago from another podcast, outside podcast that aired on June 24th. And it was a magnificent story, Close Encounter with Moby Dick, the real giants of the sea, which you were involved with. And my wife and I were in our office, we're editing images and, and, and listening to this podcast. And at the end, I looked you up on social media at the end of the podcast on your Instagram page, Galen Go Explore. And you had the footage there from the behind the scenes of that story, which was featured in Outside Magazine, the June and July issue. Big props on that. But but the, the video that you have with those sperm whales from this recent trip that you're just elaborating on was so magical. I mean, you're not exaggerating at all. We both welled up in our eyes when we watched the video. It was tremendously moving and these giants and how the, just the interaction, you know, there's no questioning their intelligence, but what you were able to capture was, was amazing. And I, I such a privilege. I, I, I you know, w was one of those situations I would do almost anything to have experienced that as well. So it was delightful that you captured it so well and, 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 Everybody listening to today's podcast, you know, has to go to various places, but at least to your Instagram and to look at, at these stories and posts and videos. Thank you. Yeah, no. So it was exciting because this has been for me, it's been a two year project so far. Um, and so it was nice that um, we were able to get the feature cover story in Outside Magazine about our project. Um, and so I'm making a film called Finding Feisty. Um, and so the writer Rowan Jacobson joined us um, for this expedition to um, to, you know, tell a little bit of the story. And I think he, you know, and then with the podcast and then the article, he um, sort of gave his take on our project, which was cool. Um, and it got, you know, I think it's really great that you found out about it from that. And, you know, I think that it's always interesting for me to hear different people's perspectives of that same experience and the takeaways as well. So for me, it was being in the water with these whales was absolutely incredibly magical. And yeah, we were posting a lot of footage, um, but it's more for the film that's going to be coming out probably now because of the pandemic that we're in. It'll probably come out in winter. Um, so early winter of 2021. So we're in the editing phase and we're just getting back to production for some of the other interviews we have to do. Um, so it's pretty exciting to sort of be combing through all of that footage and reliving it as we're sort of, you know, quarantined at home, um, but being able to sort of dive back into that beautiful blue water and, you know, re-experience the clicking of the whales and just this, you know, absolutely insane conversation that we were having with these big animals. I want to get into that a lot deeper. So as we get going, though, we want to introduce you to the audience and learn a little bit more about you on a deeper level. So basically, I was very lucky to be introduced to the ocean from the time that I could walk, essentially. And so Finding Feisty, the film, is about my connection with this young sperm whale that was stranded on Long Island near where I was living at the time as a toddler. And my mom took us to visit this whale that they were trying to rehabilitate. 
um, and they brought into a boat basin. And his name was Feisty, and he was a young juvenile sperm whale. And just seeing that big creature, um, you know, swimming around this basin, to me, as like, I mean, I was less than two years old, but I remember it like it was yesterday. So it really sparked that curiosity for the ocean. And I just sort of, you know, I built a submarine in our house and like everything like that that you could do, um, you know, as a little kid. And we were also always by the, we, I, been really lucky that I've also always lived close to the ocean and my parents love the ocean. So I grew up fishing and, you know, really doing lots of different things in and around the ocean, um, whether it was going to the beach, fishing from piers, pulling seine nets, whatever it was, we were always, you know, exploring. And so it's just transition, you know, I'm not going to go through every year since I've started at like <laughs> 20 months old, but essentially then all of these experiences led up to just a huge curiosity about the ocean. And as soon as I could start learning more and taking courses and scuba diving and snorkeling and doing whatever, I went to a marine science camp and, you know, whatever I could do, I did. And then basically in college, I sort of did the same thing. I got a general biology degree. Um, but then every summer I would be researching ocean things. And just the more I learned, the more I just knew that it was what I was going to do with my life. Um, and that I wanted to, you know, be a marine scientist and study. And I thought I was going to just be an academic. I thought I was going to be a research scientist. But when I was in graduate school, I had gotten my master's working on bluefin tuna, which are one of the coolest fish in the ocean. Um, and, you know, huge, beautiful, you know, powerful. If there's a fish that can embody what the ocean is, I think it's a bluefin because they can really go anywhere. Their colors are like that beautiful blue, you know, silver iridescent, like just gold. It, they're just incredible fish. Um, I can go on and on about bluefin, so, but I won't right now. Um, but I basically had this moment when I was on the boat, we were tagging them using satellite tags, so lots of really cool technology. And I was like, I'm watching this fish get overfished for the sashimi market in Japan. And it's really going towards extinction. But all these scientists were all doing this great work, but nobody knows what we're doing. So I actually took a leave of absence from my PhD and I said, well, how can I have more of an impact? And I reached out to my network of scientists. And mind you, I had been doing research since I was about 12 years old. So it, fortunately, it was pretty vast. And I, um, I ended up in the Bering Sea being more of a science communicator, which at that time wasn't really a thing, which was kind of cool, too. But I was always a photographer. And so from my first expedition in the Antarctic, which is actually before I went to graduate school, um, through, you know, a camera was always in my hands. So I basically was like, I'll take pictures. Maybe I can run a blog for you. Like, what can I do to help you, you know, tell the story of what you're doing here in the Bering Sea, which is so important for commercial fisheries. Fisheries have played a huge role in almost all of my work up until sperm whales. You know, I basically just grabbed my camera, flew up to Alaska, got on a little tiny plane, landed in St. Paul. Um, they helicoptered me onto the ship. And, you know, hit the ground running. And I created my first films on that expedition as well, a web series called the Bering Sea Ice Expedition, um, which still people are watching, which I think is so cool. Um, and it was really the first thing. I had no film experience, but I was always a, phot a photographer. Um, so I took a lot of stills um, and started writing. And that really was the start of my storytelling career. I think as scientists, we're storytellers just in a different way. And then this was really more storytelling for a broader audience. So it was pretty exciting to be, you know, up there doing that, be back in the ice since I had started. I actually started my career working in the Antarctic in the ice as well. Kind of skipped over that part. <laughs> but uh, 
that was incredible. So it was nice to be back up in the ice and to tell the story of like big ecosystem science and to see where that could lead. And then it kind of like went from there. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's what's needed for so many scientists in the field, right? They're all working on ac ac academic papers and, and believe wholeheartedly in the research and hope to find relevant findings. But to get it into the popular media, it doesn't happen as often as it should. Yeah, so it's a no, great exactly. window for you to recognize that, I think, you know, and, and from like our, our show and audience with Wild and Exposed, you know, people often ask how there's so many different avenues in this profession, in this world of media, especially nowadays with online platforms that what you're doing, from my memory anyway, is, is quite unique to our show and, and I think very relevant and useful for scientific purposes. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, it's all about using every media tool that we can right now, which is so exciting. You know, I certainly started out going to film festivals and things like that. And then, but really, you know, everything's online and on YouTube and on different, everybody's sort of got a place to host videos now, websites and things. So it's great. So you can create a video for a scientist that they can use, you know, for whatever their purpose is or put it out for the world or find distribution or whatever is appropriate and everything from shorts to, you know, full length films, which has mm -hmm. been really cool because it can, you know, or just social media, you know, it, it can easily be told through Instagram or, you know, I don't love Twitter, but I definitely use some Twitter and, you know, but all of that is just, you know, different audiences and different people engage with different content. Um, so it's been pretty exciting to sort of be in that transition zone where it's not just, you know, conventional media of TV. Um, and then with, you know, photography, it's been great, too, because I have a few exhibits that have traveled around to different museums and aquariums. And that's always exciting, too, to have those still images up because they can stay up for longer. It's not just eight minutes of someone's time. So um, it's been really fun, especially because a lot of it is that Arctic work, that science mm -hmm. at sea work, um, which is, you know, wildlife is awesome. I love taking pictures of wildlife. It's definitely something I've transitioned to more as I've you know, progressed in my career, but I started out sort of doing big ship science, um, which has been really cool. But that's allowed you to do what you're doing now, right? I mean, we see a lot of people, actually, we've had a lot of people on the show that are in kind of the same boat. It's, it's just a more effective way to communicate exactly what's going on out there. Um, you know, Garrett Van, Eli Martinez, uh, Jorge Hauser. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, Aaron you're going to get yourself in Randy. trouble if you start listening and you're going to forget somebody I, and everybody well, I know else. There's, there's so many though that are communicating in this way. And so it's great, you know, to see the work that you're doing and also hear kind of where it's, where it's headed. I think, you know, a lot of those talented guests and photographers that we've had on are experiencing these wonders of planet earth and are sharing that in a, in a storytelling fashion with the general public. And that is, is, super important and to be held in high regard and, and definitely appreciated for those of us that are really enthralled with and are very concerned about or just compassionate about planet Earth. But what I was thinking about with Galen was just the fact that she's actually going with the research scientists. It's just a different vein where she's featuring that cutting edge research, whether it's behavioral or, or ecosystem dynamics and, and being able to feature that in a story. And I, I think there are platforms like outside magazine or, or other ones or ones that can, people can create themselves for the storytelling online. So to tie it in with scientific work, which is often for the 
average person dry to, to digest and, and read in scientific papers. I mean, it's super interesting, but you really have to get into it to communicate that in a way with multimedia applications to a broad audience, you know, I think is awesome. And, and if anything, in my opinion, anyway, personally, you know, scientific research is not funded well enough, um, at least in North America, and it's often suppressed or not doesn't get the kind of attention that some of it warrants. You know, not that it all does. It's not always successful. But when something's found, you know, let's let's digest that and share that. And so what Galen's doing, that's that's what I meant by that. It's, it's just to be able to co connect the scientific community with the general public who have passion about wildlife ecosystems and nature and do that with the talent of, of storytelling, writing, video and photography. That package is very cool. Yeah, I mean, at the at the heart of all of it, I'm a scientist. So I think no matter what I'm doing, I bring that bent to it. And it's always nice when I can bring in, you know, scientists who are the experts in that field. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the heart of it, first and foremost, I'm a scientist turned, right. you know, and then I'm a photographer, storyteller. But that, so, that gives you that insight to translate it so well, that right, that potential, because that's the world that you live in. Yeah, well, I, I admire that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I think also because a lot of the science, especially at the beginning of what I was doing, was very complicated and very, you know, it was a lot of chemistry and biological oceanography and things like that. So topics that, you know, normal normally would be like very, you know, academic. So to bring that to a different level and that's sort of how I found myself more in front of the camera because to try to get, you know, people to. The scientists actually communicate it was more difficult than me just translating exactly what they were saying. So it's been that was also an interesting transition for me that I didn't expect. Um, but yeah, so I think it's just really important to tell all these science stories and to, you know, create visual media around it. And what led you to start or how did you start with the underwater video? You were doing stills, you said primarily. And I know it's just another piece of the storytelling. But uh, at what point did you transition? So basically on my first expedition, um, I started with video um, just really by chance because I brought a video camera with me to the Bering Sea um, and I just started filming. I thought it was going to be the more effective way once I was up there to tell the story so that you could feel what it felt like to go through the ice so that you could actually see how we were all freezing and as opposed to just showing that cold image. Um, so you can't really tell because we're all like smiling and like having a good time, but you know, you can tell that I'm freezing when I'm talking to you or something like that. So that's sort of how the video component started. And then underwater, it's really transitioned slowly just because of project based wise based, you know, so I've always, you know, shot underwater. Um, but really it became more project specific. So for a while I wasn't doing anything underwater. Like I hadn't been scuba diving in a number of years. I mean, I certainly was, you know, in the ocean, but not for work. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well it's time to get under the water again. <laughs> like I need to. And so I just got really lucky that, um, you know, I got a really cool project in Palau to start shooting more underwater for my projects. I also make a lot of fishing content. I think the engaging the outdoor sports community is super important for conservation. Um, so for a while I was doing a ton of fishing content before I sort of went back underwater. Um, 
so that was, you know, fun. So it's kind of just a transition. You sort of use the same skills. You just throw the camera into housing and, you know, as long as you're comfortable in the water. And that's really the main thing. Like for me, being in the water is more comfortable than being on land. So as long as you sort of feel that way, then, you know, your camera is just an extension of what you're seeing. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of just all came together. So I shoot and I really do interchangeably and have always interchangeably shot stills and video. What's your setup currently? It really is project specific what my setup is. So right now I shoot mostly Nikon cameras. So I'm shooting a D850 um, in a Nauticam housing for um, underwater stuff. I see Mark is happy with that. Um, yeah, right. so I love I, I love my D850. Um, and so I use that for stills. And then my sperm whale project, actually we shot, I shot some video on the D850 and then we use a lot of GoPros. And then I had another cinematographer with me who was shooting a uh, Canon. I think she was shooting the 5D Mark IV. Um, we were using very compact systems. You know, you're in the water trekking after these whales. And, you know, a lot of times they're slow, but a lot of times they're also pretty fast. So I like to use this. I'm, I'm quite small. I'm only 5'2". So for me, as much as I would love to shoot a bigger red camera, I can't manage that. And I know that. I know that's a limitation that I have physically. So I'd rather use, you know, what I'm comfortable with because I'll get a better image than trying to use something bigger. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I use mostly the DSLRs um, in general. We both shoot the 850. So, yeah, there's... <laughs> for now. For now. For now. I've loved it for a few years. But, yeah, there's just so much change going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I sort of feel the same way, but you know, it's kind of always next to me. I've been shooting a lot of birds lately because you yeah. know, I have so many around and it's been really fun to just have with like my big lens and shoot whatever. I have some eagles that sort of fly by sometimes and that's always, nice. that's just been fun. Yeah. So. Sure. Did you want, I mean, there's, you've done a bunch of films and there's just so much information here, but while we were talking about, um, Finding Feisty, did you want to conclude any more on that about any more details or release or, you know, where people can go to to learn more about that film oh, that's coming out? Yeah, absolutely. So right now we have the trailer out um, and you can watch it at FindingFeisty.com. And Feisty is P-H-Y-S-T-Y. And that's because the scientific name for a sperm whale is Physeter macrocephalus. So this baby whale, they named Feisty. Um, so it's about my journey to, you know, sort of reconnect with these whales. So Feisty was the baby whale. So findingfeisty.com uh, to find out more information about the film. And I'm hoping that it will premiere sometime in winter of 2020, uh, 2021. We are in 2020. Um, so <laughs> I keep getting confused with that. Um, but yeah, so, but, you know, it's really, a, hopefully my goal with the film is to like make it feel like you're getting a hug from whales. Um, so it's more of a happy story. Um, I like telling happy, positive stories in general, hopeful stories. Um, but yeah, so stay tuned for that for sure on all of my different channels and on the website. And you can also read about the expedition on in the outside article, which is pretty cool. And that's online as well, I, I think, too. I saw there was on their it website. Is now. Yeah, so it came out in print first. And then they when they launched the podcast, they also put the article online. You know, one cool thing about watching the trailer earlier today was that, you know, when the situation with this whale draws concern right away, what happened? But Feisty survived. And, and I love the question that you pose saying, where is he? Is he still out there? Yeah. That's wonderful. 
Yeah. So, you know, ideally I would have like many, many years to make this film and really go find him in every part of the world. And we were supposed to be doing a few more shoots um, and getting in the water with whales in different parts of the world. But because of COVID, that um, has not happened. But I still think it's a great story to tell. And, you know, I think that, you know, finding Feisty personally would be very challenging. I do think and I hope Feisty is still out there. So it's really a question of, well, where would a 45 year old male sperm whale be? Um, what would he be up to? Azores. Um, is that the Azores? Well, that's where we're supposed to be right now. So really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he could easily be there. Or was he the whale that I saw when I was in the Norwegian Sea on another expedition? You know, I think that, you know, the one cool thing is that I've gotten to see sperm whales in various parts of the world. And these big bull males, you know, they're just enormous. So yeah, the question really is, is he still out there? And if he is, would we be able to, you know, reconnect with him? Would he, you know, be people friendly because a group, a community of people saved him, right? He let himself, like sperm whales are, live in these incredible communities of whales. They're mostly matriarchal. So the women, the females stay together, the women, the females stay together for their entire lives pretty much. And then the males will leave. So Feisty should have still been with his mom. And so I think that instead he found this community of people rather than his community of whales that really took him in, helped him. He allowed them to help him. And, you know, he was very sick, so that didn't hurt. But at the same time, you know, he easily could have hurt all of these people, even being so sick. And he didn't. And he knew that they were helping him. And he formed bonds with all of the different people that were in the water and around the water with him and all of the spectators. There were thousands of people who came to see Feisty. One of the coolest things about this project, too, is that I have a portal on my website where you can actually tell me the stories if you remember Feisty. And I've gotten some absolutely incredible stories from people. So it's been really fun. Like, oh, I took my son there, you know, my three-year-old son there every day. He still remembers Feisty. So like, I'm not the only toddler who remembers him. Or I went there with my grandfather or, you know, oh, I was there recording sounds. And it's been a really neat um, thing to see how impactful this single whale was on so many people. And he, I mean, he was on the nightly news and on the today show and like all of these different media outlets, but most people, but around here, almost everybody remembers him because it was a really big news story. And it was just such, you know, this crazy creature from the under, you know, the abyss came up, said hi, was brought into this community of people, like thousands of people, not just the people who were tending to him and really made a huge impact on an entire community. So when most people think about sperm whales, they think about Moby Dick. And so to get this different perspective, that's one of the things that, you know, we'd like to talk about a little bit and the time that you've shared with them in the water, because, you know, in, you know, I was a big Jacques Cousteau fan when I was a kid and I don't think I ever saw them dive with sperm whales. They dive with about every other dangerous sea creature you could imagine. But I don't remember ever seeing them dive with sperm whales. And then you see people now that are spending more time in the water with sperm whales. I mean, they're the, the I believe they're the largest tooth whale. And they are. the story that you read in grade school is what you base your opinion of these animals on. And that's not the case. I think the scariest thing about them is the clicking, right? If you're in the water with, or it can be. 
It can, yeah, the big bull males can, can cause some damage. So I've heard it hasn't happened to me. I've been clicked on by the females and it's, you feel it in your chest. You know, you definitely feel the reverberations and it's really cool. Um, but I do think that one of the things that's, like you said, I mean, most people, when they think about sperm whales, they think about Moby Dick. They think about this enormous whale taking down a whaling ship, a big sailboat, you know, and then all of the whalers who died and certainly almost all of the paintings. I recently visited the Sag Harbor Whaling Museum to do some filming. And, you know, every painting has these like ferocious whales. And you're just like, it's just so strange, right? Because then I'm in the whale, I'm in the water with these whales and they look like they're smiling and they look so cute. They look like my dog, you know, and they act like my dog. And it's just so different um, than what it is. Then again, I'm not throwing a harpoon at them. I'm just, you know, in there with my camera. So I think that, you know, the interesting thing is maybe now we're like a few generations past, you know, whaling. So they don't, remember and I don't know what kind of you know storytelling that they would have between generations but I don't it seems that they're pretty friendly towards people in general um but they are the largest tooth predator on the planet not just the largest tooth whale they have one of the largest brains um if not the largest brains depending on you know the size of the whale but they're super intelligent and being in the water with them is unlike anything that I've ever experienced before and I mean, I've had a lot of interactions with different wildlife um, from very small things to very large things. And the eye contact that you make with these whales and is more like having a conversation. They're choosing to be there with you. They are checking you out. They are fully aware of what's going on. And they are basically like, you're in my world you seem okay. And they act so differently with different people. So I had an interaction with this one whale um, for, you know, a good 25 minutes. And I didn't know anybody else was in the water around me. And of course, um, you know, Rowan, the writer from outside was in the water. So he wrote about that experience of sort of witnessing that. And then my mom is part of this, it was part of the expedition because she's part of the film because she was the one who introduced me to Feisty. So I brought her back to Dominica with me um, to sort of reintroduce her to sperm whales. So she introduced me to the ocean and then I'm introducing her to my work, um, which is really cool. So between the, like the three of us in the water, like I didn't know anybody else was in the water except for this one whale. And it was like this like total mind meld of like me and the whale. And I was like in her mouth and she was clicking on me and pirouetting around me. All of a sudden she like went vertical, closed her eyes, slept for about a minute. She just needed to rest. And then she like woke up, pirouetted some more. Like I was actually physically swimming away from her so that I wouldn't touch her because I'm not allowed to touch her, nor would I, you know, that wouldn't be something that we would, you know, do, but um, certainly not intentionally. But I was literally backing away from her, not because I was afraid of her, just because I didn't want to touch her because I wasn't supposed to, you know, and it was just so incredible. And then to think about how ferocious they seem, you know, to, you know, most people, when you think about a large predatory whale, um, and even, you know, even my mom who was in the water and she was, I wasn't apprehensive at all. When I get in, I have this uncanny lack of fear when I'm in the ocean. And it's, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, probably in my line of work, it's a really good thing. I think that, you know, people who love me, it makes them a little nervous. Um, but even her, so she was really nervous the first jump in and then, as soon as she was in there with the whale, she was totally fine. And it was no problem at all. And she was just like, it was amazing. 
you know, and every time she didn't miss one drop the entire time. I think she literally got, didn't get in the water for like one drop. That was it. Like she was right there next to me. It was incredible. Um, and she was just, you know, also fell in love with the whales. But I think that, you know, there were definitely a couple moments where they're playing and you can see how they could be dangerous. They have, they're really strong. If you get in the way of that tail, um, you could get hurt and they're very playful. So that was the one thing that uh, we were careful of. Um, but, you know, I had like five of them charging at me at one point and then basically they just kind of like went around me. So that was cool, you know, and they certainly could do whatever they wanted if they did, but they didn't. So I would definitely not classify them. That's my long winded way of saying that I would not classify them as being ferocious at all. Um, and I'm very much in love with these whales and I never thought I would be in love with a whale because I am not really like one of those like whale dolphin girls, you know, I was like always like really big fish and like, you know, what's the most badass predator I can find. And obviously sperm whales are a very badass predator. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're incredible. It's gotta be spiritual when you're under the water in their world with them though. Right. And to have the intimacy and the connection you had, how could you not fall in love with them and care about them to have that privilege? Yeah, they, no, they... exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's sort of indescribable. We did put up a minute clip um, on my Instagram that I'm sure you've seen. And it's, uh, I kind of, I have like nicknamed it Dancing with Whales, but it's a minute clip of the 25 minute interaction I had with this one whale. And it's, you know, every, it's my perspective on the whale. So you see my camera and then you also see, um, and I'm shooting and you hear my shutter. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Cause I was almost like, well, does she think I'm clicking on her with my shutter? Because, you know, you could hear that. And like, she was clicking on me. So you kind of get the perspective of how close we were. And it's just, I just, yeah, it was just one, we just tried to capture that magic, um, with that clip. And I think it, it, it does as much as it can. It you know? does. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I yeah. mean, I, I wasn't there, but it's moving every time I look at it and, Everybody should go and watch it again and again. Absolutely, it does. Oh, good. Yeah, I definitely came out of that with, like, tears in my eyes, that whole, I mean, almost every drop I did. So mm -hmm. it was, That's yeah. Awesome. And I'm not, like, a super emotional, like, I'm going to, like, tear up at anything. But, you know, just being welcomed into their world, how we were welcomed, was really special. So just so people understand, we've referenced it a few times now, but could you describe the clicking yeah, so essentially the um, the whales, in order to find their food and their prey and where they're going and each other, they click. So they've got an organ in their big heads that makes these sounds, and then they're able to they – they're still learning about how it all works. But it's, um, it's a series of clicks in different patterns and things, which is really neat. And um, it's kind of a little hard to describe, but there's different um, – patterns that they make so that they know who's who. Um, and then they do it for echolocation. So they're basically sizing you up when they click on you. They're like learning all about you. Like we can't even imagine what they're learning about as they click on you. And it comes back to that information comes back to them. They probably like see your bones. They probably know everything, you know, um, which is so cool, you know, but that's what they're doing to find their food. That's what they're doing to check each other out. And they're, they're just checking out these like weird little, they were checking out this like weird little blonde girl in the water, basically, when they were clicking on me and like deciding if I was okay or not, if I was a threat. Um, fortunately, they, they liked me, or most of them did. So uh, 
is pretty neat, but it's a pretty cool thing. You can hear some of it also um, in the footage that we have up on Instagram and um, some of my other social media. And then there'll be, we actually, I've gotten so many really cool recordings that are going to be in the film from different scientists um, to sort of talk about how they're hunting and things like that. Cause they're hunting, you know, they're down in the depths hunting giant squid and it's super dark. So how are they finding everything? And it's uh, it's pretty cool. So much to learn there, right? I mean, how, so much. How, how could we ever, but it's amazing. I don't know whether to segue into other projects a little bit. I mean, that's super exciting and I can't wait to watch it. And again, I'd say it repeatedly over this podcast, go and watch that <laughs> on Galen's Instagram to get a teaser for sure. And on the website, you can see more of that. But you mentioned, um, I don't know whether to go with the um, Jacques Cousteau connection yet or to go with the uh, with Palau? Palau. Palau. Film, with the, the, the choral film that you did. And I love the positive spin to get people's attention in a positive direction that you do with your work. I mean, it's, it's important to relay what's happening globally to various populations, species, ecosystems. But to start with that positive spin with your, with your choral film, can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, very privileged to work on this film. Um, it's called Coral Glimmer of Hope. Um, and it premiered last year at the International Ocean Film Festival, but it can now be viewed online on YouTube and on Vimeo. And it's essentially telling a hopeful story about, you know, the gloom and doom facing our corals. This group of scientists is looking at a, on a molecular level how this unique population of corals in Palau, there's two um, two areas where there's coral reef systems. So one's an inshore, very acidic, warm area, and one's it's offshore, typical coral reef um, that you would think of with that sort of cooler water, but that gives all these colors. But many of the species are the same between the two. So essentially what they're doing is transplant experiments and trying to figure out how are the corals inshore in this warm, acidic environment that we're predicting all of the oceans to look like in the future, how are they surviving? Um, and so on the molecular level, they're learning about the coral symbionts, the little algae that lives inside every coral polyp, because corals are the largest, you know, animal in the world. Um, and so they're each individual polyp or colonial, but they have this unique interaction with um, this unique symbiosis with um, the algae um, to survive. So, you know, so the algae sort of provides food and the coral provides, you know, um, it, it depends on where they are, sort of what they're providing for each other. Um, but so the unique relationship that they have, they're looking at the molecular level. What is, you know, so are the corals in the warmer water, are they eating more as opposed to use, relying on the, um, the zooxanthellae, the symbiotic algae, to, to provide their food? Whereas the ones in the cool, sort of the clear, beautiful water are, um, you know, relying on the, on the algae to provide their their sustenance, essentially. So by looking at that, they're hoping that, you know, in the future, there'll be corals. Mm -hmm. I think the coral reefs will look very different, but there is hope um, through understanding this. And then hopefully being able to translate sort of like, maybe we can use some of this technology moving forward to keep corals in the ocean. It's certainly not, one thing that was really clear is that it's a hopeful story that there'll be corals, but it's not necessarily like the silver bullet, like, oh, we're going to put this algae because there are trade-offs. So that's mm -hmm. the big thing. In nature, everything is a trade-off, right? And so sure. it's essentially about that. Um, but it was really cool. Palau was incredible. The coral reefs in Palau are insanely beautiful. 
um, still very healthy, which was such a delight to see because I grew up diving in the Florida Keys, um, which are pretty much dead, which is very depressing. Um, but so it was nice to be on a healthy coral reef system and to see all of the, the big pelagics around, but also to see just the incredible diversity of corals. Well, and the, yeah, as you point out, the marine life that they support around all yeah. that too, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your involvement was with the videography of that film? Yeah, so essentially um, I knew the, the scientists and we I was actually written into their grant to make a film for them to explain their work. So I was, it was a National Science Foundation funded expedition. Um, and so I, they wrote me into the grant to create this short film. Um, and that How long is it? Know, it's eight minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Concise. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we, uh, we wanted it to be accessible to everybody. And, you know, we could tell the story in that time, obviously not in super detail, but it's also such technical science that I think that it would get lost on most audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I was with them for only one of their expeditions. It's been a multi-year project. So we sort of built on the knowledge. I kind of came in in the middle. So build, building on the knowledge that they've had from working there for so many years and then kind of going in, um, telling the story. And then they've moved forward now and they're continuing to do the research there. So it's really cool science. There was three universities, University of Alabama, Birmingham, University of Delaware, and Penn State University. So a really incredible group of scientists to work with. Um, and they're doing really interesting and important work on corals. No kidding. So YouTube, Coral Glimmer of Hope. Watch those eight minutes. Yeah. Do it. Do it. So I hope you're making a list of links, Mark, that we need to put in the show notes so that we can make well, sure. Well, I've got it written down. Point yeah, we'll, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, for sure. We'll get we'll get that done. Yeah, another June twenty third on the Science Channel premiere of Legends of the Deep, Blue, Blue Hole of Belize, with Fabian Cousteau in a submarine. You yeah. went to the bottom. What inspired you? I mean, I just tell the story, please. <laughs> yeah. So it was. So I have an interesting story. So it was kind of fun, this expedition, because I got to put my biology hat back on and I was the biologist for this expedition and I was the photographer and I did a lot of filming as well. Um, but yeah, so essentially... Did you get paid twice then? It was kidding. a creative process I'm getting kidding. paid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically I met the owner of actually the submarine company that was... Um, sponsoring the expedition and organizing it. And we just started chatting sort of before it even happened and said we really wanted to work together. And then, you know, a couple months later, I get a call and he's like, so we're going to the Blue Hole in Belize. Do you want to come? And I was like, do you want to be the biologist for the expedition? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't want to go in a submarine? And um, who doesn't want to go to the bottom of the Blue Hole? So, you know, I, I had never been to the Blue Hole. I had heard certainly about the diving because you can recreational dive in the first 130 feet of it. And it's pretty cool. I mean, we did some scuba dives in there as well. Um, Fabian was actually my dive buddy um, for that dive. Um, I'm never being his dive buddy again. Um, but oh, <laughs> love him. Make a we'll note there that. too because we need the rest <laughs> of that story. But go ahead. <laughs> um, love him to pieces. But uh, no, he's great in the water. Um Anyway, he'll get a crack at it. He'll laugh at that. Um, 
But anyway, so long story short, I ended up on this amazing expedition and got to go down in submarines to check out the bottom of the blue hole because really very few people had been down there. So it was kind of exploration at its purest form. Like, let's just go see, you know, because it's deep. It's over 400 feet. It's, you know, a little treacherous. There's this hydrogen sulfide layer that, you know, is a little bit toxic and corrosive. So you're not really going to want to technically dive down there. And if they did, it would be like, you could only go for a couple of minutes because it's so deep. So we, um, we took subs. So we were diving two subs in tandem and, um, there were two major productions that happened. One was on discovery channel, um, which was blue hole live, I think it was called. I can't, I can never remember exactly what it was called, but it was essentially was a live broadcast of our dives. Of course, the weather didn't entirely cooperate. Sir Richard Branson was also on the expedition. And um, so I was basically, I was in one sub filming and then Sir Richard Branson and Fabian and the pilot were in the other sub. And so we were, you know, just doing this really cool dive um, to the bottom that was live broadcast. And then, um, and then it, subsequently, there was another show, Legends of the Deep, that was with the, the Cousteaus, with Fabian and Celine Cousteau, talking about the mystery behind the Blue Hole. Um, so yeah, so it was, those were both really fun productions. So most of the footage that you actually see, the under, a lot of the underwater footage I shot, um, and then I did a lot of the production stills as well for both series, and then also for the larger expedition as a whole. Um, which is actually why I got on, I was part of the project before any of the productions actually happened as the biologist and photographer for the expedition. And then these productions, I think, you know, as, as expeditions grow, sometimes they um, add on these really fun elements of TV. (laughs) So it was, uh, you know, there's challenges with TV and then there's always fun to get it out there to a larger audience. Absolutely. So I have to ask, having never had that experience and never been there, I mean, what was it like being in the submarine? And was it scary? Were you comfortable the whole time? And thirdly, what was at the bottom? So it was my first time in a submarine. I was definitely a little bit nervous when I went down, but I was like, I'm definitely going. Um, and it was very, um, it was very cool. You know, I think we, uh, how big's the sub that you're in? If you don't, so I, mean, I was in a yeah. So I was in a three-person submarine. Okay. And uh, so it was me and two pilots, and then the other sub was one pilot and two people. Got so it. depending on, I did multiple dives. So um, yeah, and so essentially we went down, and it was really cool. I think as soon as I sort of got in the sub, it's really hot and it's very cramped. That's the one thing. And like, I was ne- literally next to like a guy who was like over six feet tall. And, you know, so in like a little tiny cramped space, I'm like, this is a very intimate environment to be in with somebody you barely know, but sure. you know, such is the case. Um, and it was very hot. In the name Again, of science. In the name of science and TV, yes. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, as soon as that hat's closed and we started going down and I just, you know, you kind of forget about your apprehension and you start just looking around. You know, and I think especially on my first dive, which was about an hour and a half, so a little bit shorter, maybe two hours, um, you know, I think it was just a total sense of wonder. Like, I'm in a submarine right now. This is so cool. And I'm in the blue hole, which is awesome. And we were seeing all of these really cool rock formations. We saw some sharks and, you know, lots of different fish. So for me, as a scientist, I was kind of like looking at like, okay, as we're going down, what's changing and stuff like that. Um, we had this like little like head to head battle with a hermit crab at around 250 feet. That was probably the. How coolest does that thing. happen? Well, How does a was, hermit crab take on a submarine? 
Well, he was, you know, huge. He was like in a conch shell, so a large one. And he had he had basically like taken up residence on this little shelf. So he was eating everything that was kind of like sprinkling down on him and it was his territory. So I don't know what he was thinking, but he literally had a standoff with the sub. So I think it's probably my favorite picture that I took of uh, from that dive is of this little guy sort of like looking at us in these like bright lights. Um, and then sort of when you go through this hydrogen sulfide layer, you kind of bounce off it because it's a different density and then you kind of go down and then it's clear. And then at the bottom of the blue hole, um, there isn't much happening. So there are these like weird tracks that we found that we never figured out what was making them. So that's mm -hmm. sort of a big mystery still that I think a bunch of us would love to go back to explore more. Um, and then a lot of dead things because there's very little oxygen down there. So a lot of dead crabs and dead conch shells and things like that. So is it still viewable online or how would people see the Legends of the Deep Blue Hole Belize? I believe it's it's still online and on like video on demand platforms. Um, I know that it was an, it was on demand on my cable for a long time. And the discovery live show, I believe is also online on the discovery channel website. If you just Google, um, either of okay. those, um, right. I think you have to be a cable subscriber to get them or, you know, have a subscription to either science channel was where legends of the deep was. And then discovery was where the other program was. Um, and then there's also, though, I have a bunch of pictures and things and some shorter clips um, on, again, my Instagram feed. And I need to update my website with some of that as well. Um, I'm not the best at updating my website, but I am really good at posting on Instagram. So <laughs> I, I, I wish I was better at doing everything, but there's just so many hours in the day. So, um, but yeah. And then also one thing that I always have to mention when I talk about this is how much plastic we saw at the bottom of the blue hole, which was I'm a little kidding. bit. It was a little bit depressing. It is a very popular dive site, but we saw a lot of plastic bottles, a lot of scuba fins and weight belts and things like that. So, you know, just plastic pollution is everywhere. And so we really need to, you know, be mindful of that. Oh, yeah, we could do, you know, in my opinion, we could do a thousand hour podcast trying to convince people to be careful with plastics on this planet. It's it's. You know, what we learned, my wife and I were in, in with our daughter in Australia and New Zealand last year. We did a lot of coastal uh, traveling and, and in the water and, and various places with sea turtles and just and the shorebirds and everything you hear about is 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 very heavy to to think about, but certainly has changed our course as far as always avoiding single use plastics and being very careful about that and, and encouraging people that may not think about it just to think about it and why so yeah. yeah the ocean is it's it's invisible below the surface to the average person right it's just this immense you know my my wife's license plate on her car is one ocean and oh wow and she is just enthralled with marine life and that's a lot of her background and she's always happiest at the ocean but this whole philosophy that the ocean is one body of water with currents that go throughout and life that goes throughout and Pollution that happens in the plastic, I, I won't go on the soapbox too long, but it just hits home, right? It travels throughout the ocean. It impacts all life, and people don't see it because it's below the surface. So, you know, it, in an encouraging way, education and conservation is, is so important right now. And, and so, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up, but I, yeah. I won't talk any more on it, but it's something that yeah. we all need no. to hear about. Absolutely. That's for another another episode. We can just talk about plastic pollution. <laughs> Happy to do it.
Well, and just education, the, the subtle things that people can do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much you can do as an individual. And so you, you have founded the Global Ocean Exploration, uh, cutting edge science to the public in photography, writing, and film. And I might throw this out there right now, too. Why not? You're a U.S. Coast Guard. We should have done all this at the beginning, but we had to hear <laughs> some of the stories. The U.S. Coast to Guard. To be fair, we Catherine. tried, Mark. <laughs> but then you had to jump right into the. Yeah, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. <laughs> um, Galen is a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain, fellow of the Royal Geographical Society, the Explorers Club, and the Society of Women Geographers. Delivered lectures all over the place. But please tell us about why you founded Global Ocean Exploration and what that, what the project is about. Yeah, so essentially I founded the company because I wanted to have more of an impact. So it sort of goes back to, you know, what we did talk about at the beginning, which was our, you know, how I got to where I am. So it was about, you know, creating an organization that a company that really, you know, fulfilled this purpose of telling me meaningful and impactful scientific stories and science expeditions. Um, and then now, so the first phase was really working with scientists and, you know, telling their stories. And then the second phase is doing more of my own expeditions and my own research um, and telling those stories as well. So it's essentially a platform, sort of like a media consulting platform to really help scientists communicate what they're doing and to make field research seem really cool because it is. Um, and to tell these just, you know, stories that otherwise wouldn't be told. So, you know, ocean chemistry in the Arctic is really important and it's not going to necessarily be, well, now it's getting more and more mainstream, which is very cool for me to see. But, um, you know, people don't care about water chemistry so much, but it's an important story to tell. So how do you make, you know, that story interesting? And, you know, if you're in the Arctic, it's inherently interesting because it's beautiful, um, and it's unique environment. So really, that's that was the impetus to start. It was like, let me tell these stories that otherwise wouldn't be told, um, that you wouldn't necessarily see on a National Geographic or a Discovery Channel um, mm -hmm. back when I started. But now I think that you know it's kind of expanded, and obviously we're we're on those networks and trying to you know get it to broader and broader audiences as we go. Um, so that was sort of the impetus, really just telling cool stories about the ocean and conservation and getting people engaged. Excellent. Well, there that's a great reason to pick up a camera, a <laughs> video camera and a pen and a keyboard and put that media together. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. It's a, you know, I've always been creative. I've always liked to create things, whether it's, you know, um, art pictures, making, you know, whatever it is, uh, crafts. And I think that being able to be more creative and tell these stories, um, has been really great for me personally. Um, because I was a little bit confined by academic science. So it's nice that I can still do a lot of, I can still do science, but tell these cool stories in fun and exciting ways and then share all of it. I think that's the other, the main part really is about sharing, right? So it's like, it's wonderful to be on this podcast with you so that we can share these fun stories. Um, it's wonderful when I get to speak in public, when I speak to kids, I do a lot of group work with school groups, um, you know, and whoever I'm speaking to, because I remember there was this one moment actually when I started my career in the Antarctic and, you know, I was on this two month expedition on an icebreaker and I knew some of the people, but I didn't know them well. Right. And I'm watching the most incredible sunset that I've ever seen. I think it's still the most incredible sunset I've ever seen. And I'm saying to myself, well, you know, these are all my colleagues, but like, how do I capture this to share it with everybody? You know, 
how do I share this story beyond, you know? And I didn't have like, I think I, at that point I had like my Pentax K1000, you know, like it was like, I think it is mostly black and white film I was shooting. Cause I was like in this like artsy phase. Cause I was like literally, you know, the low man on the total pole scientist on that expedition. Um, and I mean, I have some beautiful images, but I'm like, I don't know, you know, and I wasn't even thinking about it so much other than the fact that I wanted people to see this, you know, I wanted to share this. So even back then when I was a scientist, it was like, okay, well, how do I bring this story home? And it's really about, you know, getting people to connect. And by sharing these stories, we're able to, so that people can make sort of informed choices or, you know, just have a knowledge base when they're thinking about, you know, the ocean or our planet as a whole. So how do we create that, you know, visual media to do that? Absolutely. That's that's the most noble cause to me as far as uh, nature, wildlife, communication right now. I, it, the more people I can get interested in it, the better, right? Just to care on any level. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And also to make informed choices. Like I'm not going to tell mm -hmm. some, I mean, in general, I'm not going to tell somebody what to do but I'm going to give them the information that they need um, to then decide whether or not they should make sort of what I would consider the right choice or they can still educated. go down that other, yeah, you know, an educated decision. Absolutely. So, um, you know, educated and informed. So I, can I jump off topic on one thing? I, I just have to spin this because there's no two other people that I know that I can say this to that you have something in common that you both have met Dr. Jane Goodall. I have not had that privilege. Oh, yeah. Where did you, where did you get to meet her? Um, I met her at the Jackson wild film festival. Oh. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then a couple of other places, but that's where I actually like spoke to her at length. And so she was incredible. I mean, it's such an inspiration. And the funny thing is that I actually growing up, I think when I was like six years old, I had her one of her books that I used to read, like cover to cover, and I still have it. And it's so, you know, so she was definitely one of my inspirations growing up. So meeting her was incredible, especially, you know, and it was just a few years ago. So it wasn't, you know, it was very recent. It's on how about Instagram you? Page, yeah. right? It is. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's how I yeah, saw it. Mean, like, yeah, you don't right. meet Jane Goodall and not put a picture up. Come on. You have <laughs> to take that picture. I think she's probably so sick of people taking pictures with her, but she was so gracious. So I'll tell a Jane Goodall story. And I don't, I don't remember if I told this last time or not, Mark, but she, she was posing with people to take pictures and, and we did get to visit with her. And I will, I will say, I've never heard a speaker that captivated me so much from the first word as, as she did. And probably partially because of my, you know, wildlife background, biological background, and just the, you know, the history that she has but she was just a captivating speaker. But uh, we sat down to take these pictures and here's, you know, Jane Goodall. You think of her as this, I don't know, I guess a little higher, higher human. And she says, I sat down and she says, well, we have to make a toast. Where's your drink? And I said, well, I don't have one. And she said, well, then you will borrow one. So she made me go get a drink and I had to steal somebody else's drink and come back just so we could toast. But she was a very funny lady and fun to listen to, you know, and visit with after the fact, like you said, just, uh, I don't know, just inspiring. 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think especially when she starts making like the, the different sounds and she just, you know, yeah. she can tell how much she loves what she does and how mm-hmm. connected she is. So you can tell also that she really would rather be there, you oh, know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. She had, she's like me in that regard. I'd much rather be with the animals than with people, but yeah. I think That's we probably all have that in common. Yeah. yeah, it's our happy place. Yeah. You mentioned the the, uh, the wide blue ocean in front of you, yeah. I think, uh, on your website as your happiest place. Yeah. Right? And so that all makes sense for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Galen, I can't thank you enough for your time. And I know that there's probably more places that we can go. Mark, did you have anything else? Uh, no, no. I was just, uh, unless there's more that... Galen would like to talk about if, uh, I mean, what's next is Feisty's coming out. One of my questions would be, what is next? But I mean, do you have plans beyond Feisty or, I mean, that's going to be, I'm sure some um, touring involved with that or or promotion that will be, take up a fair amount of time. Yeah. You know, we are, because of being in the midst of a pandemic, it's all a little bit up in the air. So yeah. So we certainly have projects that are in the pipeline, which I'm really excited about. So hopefully, um, Hopefully it'll happen. Some it will happen sometime in the future, right. um, but uh, I don't know when. And so sure. I'm trying not to be, you know, I'm trying not to plan anything in the very near future. But fortunately, like you said, we do have Finding Feisty coming out um, sometime early 2021, which is very exciting. And yes, hopefully um, film festivals will be happening so we can actually premiere it in person, not just virtually. Um, mm-hmm. That was actually part of the reason that we did put it off as well. Um, other than the fact that we couldn't finish without all the filming, I was like, I really want to be there. I want to see people's reactions. I don't just want to, you know, put it online and then, you know, do some Zoom Q and A's. Like, no, I really want people to connect, and I want to connect with them over the story. Um, so yeah, so that'll certainly be probably the next thing is really getting the film out and sharing it with everybody and um, and figuring out exactly what that will look like in our new in our new sort of adjusted world. Um, and then from there, yeah, hopefully by next summer and spring, we will be back in the field. I mean, I'm certainly shooting now as well, though. I'm very lucky because I'm, I'm sort of quarantined by the ocean. So my camera is in hand and we're creating some fishing content right now, which will be really fun to premiere about our local waters. So um, it's, you know, where I grew up and not enough people know about it. So trying to figure out exactly what that should look like. We have a lot of whales and dolphins and really cool fish and a lot of really big sharks in our, in our waters. And unfortunately they're hitting the media a lot right now. Um, I think probably cause shark weeks coming or all of that, mm. but, um, and also people have been attacked recently. Um, so anyway, on a different, <laughs> less, a uh, little pot. I mean, it doesn't prevent me from going in the ocean, certainly, and I'm hoping to film them. And I'm always looking for those fins so that I can swim out to them as opposed to people getting out of the water. I'm going in the water. Um, but yeah, so telling some more local stories in the meantime while we're finishing up Feisty. So the film festivals, when that eventually happens, will likely be listed on your website, right? And so. Yeah. If there's one near me, it's somewhere around. I would love to meet you in person and, and see it and, and, and hear your introduction to the project in person. And I, you know, we really want to encourage our audience. Your images are breathtaking. You know, oh, the one you talk you. about, the whale, she's coming right at you. Her mouth is open. I mean, truly incredible work. So um, I just, 
I'm so happy you had that wonderful experience and you can tell that story so well to people. And oh, well, thank you. Them. Well, thank you. I mean, all, your work is so beautiful that that means a lot coming from talented photographers. So, um, you know, it's, it's always hard, especially now that we're in sort of these little bubbles, not seeing as many people and not interacting with all of our colleagues that we want to see and, you know, talk to. Um, so it's really lovely to be chatting with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and to hear your positive feedback on my work is really lovely. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you that I've enjoyed <laughs> being detained, uh, but it has given us an opportunity to catch people, you know, busy people like yourself um, that just aren't out doing what they normally would be and, and being able to bring, you know, your stories to a larger audience and hopefully bring some more attention to your work. And I know, you know, Mark was a fan and I'm, I'm a fan for sure. Seeing the, the sperm whale footage just because you don't see it all that often. You know, the, I, I think the last thing I saw on sperm whales before I came across your films was uh longline fisherman in Alaska. And the fact that, you know, once a pot of sperm whales shows up, they're pretty much done and they just have to to reel in because the sperm whales are so smart that that's easy prey for them. Yeah, no, sperm whales are very smart and they definitely have learned, you know, how to pick fish off of fishing lines and things like that. And I think also, unfortunately, it's also led them to being entangled sometimes in sure. fishing gear. Yeah, and that's one of so the things think, that that story revealed. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be an important element to include in the film um, is, you know, we're certainly... I want it to be a happy film and very positive, but I definitely don't think that that can be glossed over mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we're seeing, you know, there was recently a whale entangled in Italy in fishing gear, a sperm whale that they were able to free, which is great. And, but more and more, you know, whenever it's interesting too, because I think after spending time with the whales, um, I then saw a sperm whale washed up dead on the beach filled with plastic in its stomach and, you know, normally that would really bother me, but after having spent these like 10 magical days in the water, and this was our second expedition, so we'd had spent a few, little bit of time in the water with them before, um, you know, it was heart-wrenching. Like I was bawling in a, you know, it was just this like immediate visceral reaction. I'm like, this is such an intelligent creature and that happened to it. Like, it's just not okay. So it, it got me to, you know, a little bit more on a soapbox about a lot of things. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, we're interacting with wildlife more and more and wildlife is interacting with us more and more um, in both positive and negative ways. And it's about how to, you know, balance. So I'm glad that the fishermen sort of stopped fishing because, you know, granted, they're stopping for a different reason than I think that they should be stopping right. when they're near the <laughs> whales. But I think that the outcome is largely, you know, well, for the whales, it's better. Really appreciate you being part of our podcast bubble during <laughs> Strange 2020. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to meet both of you and to get to see you. Um, I know we'll be only audio for the podcast, but it's nice to to see faces. <laughs> so, oh, definitely. To see your yes, faces. Yeah, absolutely. you have to. It it would be a strange. I mean, it'd be doable, but it would be a strange experience not to see one another at least through Skype, and and have that visual communication. But it's it's been a real treat to hear about your explorations, your adventures, and and what you bring through your media presentations and what you share with people and. And again, our link, the links will be on our, our website and, and people can find you there. Or, or as we've mentioned through the show too, it's, you're, you're out there, you're easy to find. So strongly encourage. 
people to go and see the wondrous things you create. Okay, thank did, you so much. We did give out the names. I think Mark gave the name of your website as well as uh, your Instagram. But if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and repeating it so people can get out there and find you. Sure. Yeah. My Instagram is at Galen go explore and that's G A E L I N go explore. Um, and then my website is galenrosenwax.com and globalocean And you can also find me on YouTube, um, at global ocean video. Um, or if you just put in Galen Rosenwax, you'll come up with the global ocean exploration, um, page on YouTube, our channel. So another, and then almost all of the video is there. Um, and then more of the photographs would be on the website and on Instagram. So, and also we have a Facebook page if anybody's still on Facebook um, for <laughs> Global Ocean Exploration, um, but it's, it's most of the same content. So I'd say Instagram is definitely the way to keep up to date on all of the news. Um, and then also on galenrosenwax.com. And we'll have links also in the show notes. So I, but I appreciate you doing that. Well, Galen, thanks very much. And uh, I, I look forward to hopefully meeting you in the field one day that be, you know, because that means I'm on the water. Or in the water, better yet. So. Or I'm in the mountains. and Well, there's that. I do love but. mountains. so. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Wild and Exposed. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in town Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go